You really need to sit back and pay attention because this podcast could easily be worth, are you ready, a billion dollars. Wow, wow, yes, yes, I love it. I'm calling it the Billion Dollar Podcast because you are going to hear success secrets from two of today's top tech innovators. These guys are the real deal, heavy hitters. They're the ones dreaming up impossible inventions in the tech underworld. They are creating your future, and they're even cooking up the next big breakthrough. You know, something that in 10 or 15 years, you won't be able to live without, or maybe even five years. Their brains are churning out forward-thinking ideas, and they have the smarts to put it all together and make it work. Now, some would call them visionaries, so get ready. They've agreed to share some of their superpowers on this podcast. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably dreamt up an invention that you swore would make people's lives easier. But in the end, you talk yourself out of it. All those negative thoughts come to mind. No, I could never actually build this. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't know the right people. I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, I call it victimitis. And if that's you, this podcast could change your attitude and maybe your life. But what if you're not an inventor? What if you're an investor? And who doesn't like to make money? Remember when people laughed at the iPhone? Well, who's laughing now? People who sunk their money into the iPhone are now laughing, well, all the way to the bank. Do you remember those IBM stockholders back in the day? Holy Toledo, did they make a fortune? Money doesn't grow on trees. You can't just plant a seed. You gotta work it out. Give me some of that cold cash. I want something in my cash. I need that big to build my house. Give me all of that, all of that, till the ATM runs out. If money can buy happiness, then why is it so fabulous? You, too, can become a smart investor in technology. But there's one thing that you always need to do, and that's stay ahead of the curve. And if you do this, you may be able to cash in on ideas that nobody thinks are even possible. And then you'll be able to look back and say, I was right. Coming up in this two-part series, you don't want to miss it. You're going to hear how two of today's top innovators became visionaries. Plus, you're going to get a sneak peek at what's brewing in the think tanks of tomorrow. You'll be amazed. And you're probably going to want to listen to this podcast more than once because these interviews are packed with gold nuggets in each sentence. Kim Commando is brought to you in part by HelloFresh. Delicious meals at home in under 30 minutes. Start today at HelloFresh.com slash Kim. Before we talk about how to stay ahead of the curve in technology, We need to learn what not to do. We need to learn from those who have been, well, wrong. We call them naysayers or Debbie Downers. And boy, do I feel sorry for them. They were wrong about the washing machine. They were wrong about radio. They were wrong about computers. They were wrong about IBM. And they were wrong about the iPhone. You was wrong, Oh, the naysayers. They will never be on the cutting edge of technology. They're never going to make a fortune inventing the next big thing. They will spend the rest of their lives trying to copy what geniuses have already marketed and sold. Some of these guys are pretty heavy hitters, too. Check out what the CEO of Microsoft said about the launch of the iPhone. 
Dave, let me ask you about uh, the iPhone and the Zune, if, if I may. The Zune uh, was getting some traction, then Steve Jobs goes to Macworld and he, he pulls out this iPhone. What was your first reaction when you saw that? <laughs> $500 fully subsidized with a plan? I said, that is the most expensive phone in the world, and it doesn't appeal to business customers because it doesn't have a keyboard, which makes it not a very good email machine. Right now, well, let's take phones first. Right okay. now, we're selling millions and millions and millions of phones a year. Apple is selling zero phones a year. All right. I'm sure Steve Ballmer is kicking himself now, so we're not going to pick on the guy too much. But let's face it, not everyone can spot a diamond in the rough. But still, I don't understand how so many experts could be so wrong. Even the tech sites like Engadget, well, they didn't believe that the iPhone was worth much either. I'm not impressed with the iPhone. As a PDA user and a Windows Mobile user, this thing has nothing on my phone. No thanks, Apple. Make a real PDA, please. Neither did the chief technology officer for a big company. I'm talking about Motorola. There is nothing revolutionary or disruptive about this technology. And it's not like nobody had ever seen a touchscreen before. IBM actually came up with one back in 1992. But let's face it, it wasn't that great. Phones were connected to the internet, and you could take a decent photo with one. But the iPhone was totally different. It was a strange animal. There were no more keys. You had this full online experience. And when you first looked at the iPhone, you sat back and you said, wow, what doesn't this thing do? Here's an excerpt from Steve Jobs when he first introduced the iPhone to the super excited crowd. It happened at Macworld in 2007. Today, we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. The first one is a widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary mobile phone. And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. Three things, a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. Calling it iPhone. Today, today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. We had to edit this down because the applause just went on and on and on forever. That was over 10 years ago. And the naysayers, they called it useless. Well, TechCrunch is a big blog site, and their writers did. Here's what one columnist wrote. <laughs> that virtual keyboard will be about as useful for tapping out emails and text messages as a rotary phone. A rotary phone? Really? The iPhone was a virtual goldmine, and now it nearly dominates the market. The iPhone is the hub of the personal computing universe. But will it stick around? Okay, think back. Do you remember the Palm Pilot? 
Well, it didn't last very long, but at one time, it was totally all the rage. If you didn't have a Palm Pilot, you just weren't cool. So it makes sense that Palm CEO John Rubenstein, well, listen, he had nothing nice to say about the iPhone at all. Is there a toaster that also knows how to brew coffee? Because it would not make anything better than an individual toaster or coffee machine. Okay, Mr. Rubenstein, where are all those Palm Pilots now? Now, I hate to say it, but they could probably make a Toy Story-type movie about the poor, lonely, abandoned gadgets of yesteryear. Come to think of it, they were wrong about me, too. I was knocking on doors, trying to get into the radio business. And I actually had somebody at ABC Syndicated Radio tell me, Kim, who is ever going to listen to a show about the Internet and computers? It's too niche. And then my favorite, though, is the guy over at CBS. And here's the gentleman who's in charge of all the programming for the entire CBS radio network. And I finally get him on the phone and I send him my pitch package and I call him up to follow up. His name was Frank. And I say to Frank, Murphy was his last name. Mr. Murphy, what do you think? And he said, Kim, do you remember the pet rock? Well, your show is about as useful and long lasting as the pet rock. Okay, they were wrong, very wrong. I think I should call up both Franks, Frank at CBS and Frank at ABC and sing them that song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. I'm gonna sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong. Brought to you in part by our friends at Dreamstime, the world's largest stock photo and video community. The right image, anywhere, anytime. Download the most relevant and current images and videos today for only 20 cents each or for free. Visit Dreamstime.com. That's D-R-E-A-M-S-T-I-M-E.com today. Let's go back to the iPhone. Is it going to be around in the next 10 years? Can we imagine what will really take its place? We start using catchwords like robotics, virtual reality, augmented reality, interactive and artificial intelligence, and they start to creep their way into our conversations. So we sit back and we ask ourselves, what will the next big thing be? And to go to this place, you have to have an open mind. We've heard from the naysayers. They didn't believe in what they saw. Now we're going to hear from two visionaries on how to do it the right way. Do naysayers sometimes get in the way of our creative process? I mean, what is it about a truly innovative idea that the naysayers just will not accept? So let's take that in parts. Most people see with their eyes open. The visionary sees with their eyes closed. And so when you mention naysayers, they're simply people that cannot see what you can see. And it's your job as a visionary, as an innovator, to show them what it is that you can see. So they're actually being very kind to you. They're guiding you in terms of what you need to do in order to bring your innovation to the world. That's Marcos Polanco. He's from New York, but he's a household name in Silicon Valley. He's one of the current leaders in the development of what's called interactive intelligence. This guy is super smart. A Stanford computer systems engineering graduate. Okay, whoa. He co-invented collaborative classification machine learning. That's big too. And he owns his own algorithm patent. And talk about tech. 
This guy has shipped out a dozen iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps that he built with Swift and Objective-C, featuring Apple Maps, Bluetooth, Firebase, Stripe, push notifications, and core data. Now, if all that sounded like mumbo-jumbo to you, just know that it's huge. He also delivered the Enterprise Objective-C application for a Silicon Valley startup. And in his spare time, he's the co-founder of Imana Inc., they deliver Java-based desktop and application servers to some 10,000 corporate users. Not only has Marcos coached over 50 tech startup companies at Silicon Valley's Founder Institute, he's responsible for bringing the U.S. aerospace industry to Puerto Rico. Get this, you know how every time you view your online shopping cart, you see what other people have also bought? Well, that's his idea, just FYI. So yeah, Marcos, you're super smart. You've been right a few times. I love the online shopping cart suggestion thing. How exactly did you come up with that? So basically what you're referring to is a collaborative classification. It's just like Amazon, where Amazon, when you put something in your cart, it says, hey, people who put stuff like this into your cart also bought these other things. That's collaborative filtering. That's basically saying, hey, you're behaving like other people and therefore the things that they did might be relevant to you. And so at the time, I was just chatting with a friend and he was telling me about the signal to noise ratio of the internet. There's too much noise and you can't hear the signal. You can't hear the quality. Mind you, the internet was tiny, tiny in relation to how large it is today. And almost spontaneously, I came up with the idea. I was like, well, why don't we have people vote on it? Why don't the choices of other people affect your choices? You know, why don't we, in a way, build a human network? And as a matter of fact, when we founded a startup around that idea, our tagline was activating the human network. Because what we saw is that the internet wasn't just an internet of computers, but it was also an internet of people. And that kind of goes back to an early story of the internet. When the internet was invented, they thought, oh, we're gonna have these supercomputers in government labs and universities talk to each other, exchange data. And you know what the killer application of the internet was? Email. It was these researchers sending emails to each other. That's what really got the internet going. It wasn't about the computers, it was about the people. And that's the thing, you have to remember, it's all about the people. What I love about our conversation is that everything you say seems to be a gem in and of itself. So in Silicon Valley, you came up with this cart idea by chatting with a friend. That must be just so amazing to sit down and just talk about tech ideas with other really smart people over coffee. Does that happen a lot in Silicon Valley? Well, once you're in Silicon Valley in particular, their ideas are everywhere. That society, the, the Silicon Valley has almost an expectation that there's something in you, there's some idea. And in a way, the entire society is asking you, please tell us your idea. Is it hard to break into Silicon Valley? I'm talking about the insiders list. That competition must be huge. It's one thing to chat about an idea over coffee, but it's another thing to meet with a venture capitalist, a mover and shaker, who will actually take your idea seriously. I share it with people that is the one place where you can get a meeting because nobody knows who has a billion dollar idea in their head. And so for them to know whether you do or you don't, they have to meet you. And maybe today it won't manifest, but it'll manifest later. So a lot of the pay for culture of Silicon Valley is that, hey, this person may be a treasure, but we don't know yet. And therefore we gotta keep the communication lines open in case that oil field actually 
breaks out. Many people have trouble just getting the inspiration or they have this great idea and then it just stops. I was actually explaining this to my son the other day who has an idea for a nonprofit organization. I explained to him that you can have the idea and so many people do, but the implementation is what separates you. So in other words, what is your idea process? Product ideation for me, it's really about being challenged by a specific problem, but also being widely read. I kind of like learning, so I read about philosophy, I read about politics, I read about economics. I'm reading books, etc., pretty much on a continuous basis. So when I'm faced with a challenge, the mind will connect the dots. It will connect one problem with a solution. Let me give you an example. In online education, one of the big opportunities are massively open online courses. These are called MOOCs. So you have Harvard, Stanford, Yale, the best universities in the world offering their education to thousands of students. Anybody with the internet has access to, to this knowledge. And I'm sure that many of your listeners have experienced that they sign up for these courses, they think it's fantastic, but then life gets in the way and they never show up or never finish. So this is an active research area today. And when I looked at the problem, I actually went back to the work that BJ Fogg at Stanford is doing in persuasive technologies and behavior. And I went back to that influential book by Robert Cialdini on how people behave. And then when I looked online, I realized, wait a second, very few people had actually tied the ideas of influence and persuasion into helping students finish online courses. It just hadn't been done before. And it all came from having a diverse number of interests. Let's talk about the iPhone for a sec. It seems to be the go-to slate for all modern interactive technology. Well, at least for now. And they do have a ton of competition. But let's focus on Apple. What enabled Apple to stay ahead of the curve and create this brand new platform on which a lot of technology is now standing? The iPhone is a case of, again, the right place at the right time. Now, many of us are familiar with Moore's Law. And Moore's Law says that computing power doubles every 18 months. And so after one, two, three doublings, now it's eight times more than it was a couple of years ago. So an iPhone is simply a Mac that because of the power of Moore's law doubling every 18 months has become miniaturized. And that's a process that other players like Microsoft and BlackBerry weren't attuned to. There was a poster over in BlackBerry that says, did you save a bite today? You know, to their engineers, because at the time there wasn't a lot of bandwidth. There wasn't a lot of ability to move a lot of data across the internet. So while they were over there worrying about every bit and byte, Steve Jobs understood that that would change very soon. So when the iPhone came out, other people couldn't understand how they could pack so much technology into that device. And it was simply that the underlying technologies had evolved so much in the intervening years. Think about all the things that may not have been if it weren't for innovators, inventors, and people willing to put it all on the line. We'll hear more from Marcos in part two of our Billion Dollar Podcast. And in that episode, we'll also hear from an online strategist with a major motion picture studio. And we're going to peek into this digital crystal ball. 
So I know you found this podcast informative and useful and entertaining. So you have to do me a favor. Head over to iTunes or Google Play and give this podcast a five-star rating and a terrific review because this helps more people find our podcast. That's what we want, more listeners. Thanks to Simply Safe, protecting your family is simple. Get 10% off at simplysafechem.com. That's simplysafechem.com. Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.